Welcome to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 74th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. We're going to America this afternoon. Campbell Chapman, 58 appearances for the Wolves between December 1984 and May 1986, scoring four goals. Campbell, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, thanks, Jason. Good to uh, good to hear from you and good to be able to contribute to, to the great job that you do with uh, bringing the ex-players to uh, to the current, uh, I guess the current, you know, the scene of a, a Wolves a football club. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, Campbell, listen, that means a lot. And you were one I've been meaning to, well, I've been trying to get hold of you for a while. It's difficult to know you're very busy over in America. And, and you know, your story is very, very interesting. And what I always do with the podcasts, I go back right to the very start. Obviously, you're from a footballing family. Your father was a professional footballer, subsequently managed the Wolves. So how did you start your junior and youth career, Campbell? And how did you get spotted? I think, you know, Jason, back in the days when uh, when I was going through this and probably a, a number of the players that you've spoken to uh, about their younger careers, it was really just no one really recollects and can go back that far to remember when you first started playing or, yeah. you know, the environment that you, that you had. Because, you know, street football and, and playing at the park with your mates was, was the highlight. And to be honest, re, you know, going back and revisiting the games you'd watched on Match of the Day or, or, or you'd seen that afternoon. I mean, I was a... A village lad that used to go and watch my village team on uh, on Saturday, and then the following Saturday, I was a Portsmouth fan, and Pompey was my local team because that's my my dad had played, and yes. so it was every other Saturday. And then uh, the only time we got to score on nets was when uh, the men's team put put the nets up at halftime, and of course, as soon as the game was over, they take the nets down, and then <laughs> you'd be back shooting on an empty goal with no nets. But yeah. I um, I played my first sort of competitive eleven v eleven. Uh, football match at U12s and uh, just mates in the, in uh, at the school said they were on a team and it was out of a YMCA and I do remember actually uh, before my first game with this particular club um, I've been spotted by the uh, by the local um, I guess district teams West Sussex district team for tryouts yeah and uh, I remember being excited on the Friday night and playing at the youth club and playing hide and seek and smashing into a wall as I was like not paying attention in the dark. Yeah. And I attended the the West Sussex tryouts the next day with a really good black eye. And uh, there's still guys that I keep in touch with on Facebook that still still used to call me Black Eye up to I was about 16 years old <laughs> on that team because that was because no one knew each other's name. The only way you could get the ball of somebody if you called whatever it was. And yeah. I was a big shiner, so I was called Black Eye. And I bet, I bet your dad wasn't happy about that, obviously, being a professional footballer himself. Um, and then he sees you getting a trial with the district and next thing you know, you're getting injured before. I know. It's funny, you know, back in those days, my dad was really, um, he was just, uh, he he wasn't really that, he wasn't pushy, never was pushy. I never, never felt that, you know, that football was something I had to do. Um, he never, I never, never was, you know, a coach or yes. I want to get involved. The, the bloke who ran our, our Sunday football team was a guy called Jerry Goff, and I remember him was his, his Wellington boots, whether it was in ninety degrees sunshine or, or mud field, he'd have those yeah. Wellington boots on. 
and um, and Jerry, we used to, you know, pick the team. And I do remember telling Jerry, you know, today, Jerry, I'm going to be up front because I think I might have watched, like, you know, Kenny Dalglish play for Liverpool. And then the next day, I wanted to be central midfield because I might have watched somebody else play on match of the day. So yes, it was really sort of an unprofessional, um, very safe environment to, for a football to, young football to develop because, you know, in those days, you know, you didn't really see... Uh, didn't think that professional football was attainable because you never really had that connection because the local clubs was the only connection with football and going to watch it as a fan. Yes. Now, now in your in your formative years, Campbell, uh, listen, you was hot property because I believe it was QPR and Villa that took an early interest uh, in your services. Yeah, I was, you know, living in the South Coast between Portsmouth and Brighton. They weren't really, you know, high-profile clubs. I think Pompey, we were... A, but a lower second division in those days, and 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 Brighton might have been up and down second to third. There was not not that it was then. And lucky enough, being uh, in the in the south, you know, there was a coach, there was a scout, there was a QPR that had saw me play uh, um, on a men's team when I was about fifteen, and it was the same for the Aston Villa scout. So I remember I was at, I was at Villa for a while. I went up two or three times, and and was actually in the same youth group with. Uh, with Paul Birch, yeah, um, at that time, who obviously went on and played for the Wolves. And, yes. Uh, Gary Shaw was a little bit older than me, but um, there was a bunch of lads that on that team, and I and I thought I was going to get offered a spot, and and I remember training with the first team and uh, playing against John Gibman, and but nope, they didn't. They decided not to go. They had a really strong group, and I think that group went on and won the FA Youth Cup for a couple of years. So it was a it was a very strong group. So. And then QPR, um, I remember room with Ian Muir, who went on to be a successful uh, professional player at Tranmere yeah. Yeah, in Coventry. And, and again, you know, at those times, there was lots of very, very good footballers out there. And it was um, it was just a case of, you know, right place, right time. And um, at those points in my career, I think living in the South, not being around highly competitive footballers, you know, it was... Um, it was it was detrimental to some things, but on the other side, it kept you pure. You didn't really get, you never really looked over and thought, oh, okay, someone's better than me or someone's getting a better opportunity than me. You never really thought of it. You just thought, oh, I've got yes. this opportunity to go do it, and you went up and did it. You know. And I believe you was also uh, on the books of Brighton, Peterborough, and I think you had a trial at Luton, and eventually you did get back to the Midlands and end up at Belston Town. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a strange path. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of lads out there. Have got you know, we've all got their own individual stories of um, of how you get to that point where you make you know you make that appearance and everybody says, "Oh, where did they come from?" Mine was was uh, I could have signed for Brighton at leaving school. I could have signed for Brighton, um, but at that point, Alan Mullery was the manager, and their youth team didn't even play in. Um, a professional league they played in like a Sussex Counties League so right. you, didn't play, you know I was playing against the same teams that I played against as a, as a as a village player playing on my local team yeah and then um, my dad knew the manager at Peterborough was Peter Morris he played with him together uh, back in the day at Mansfield and I said you know dad is I'd like to go it seemed like in the north or you know living in Portsmouth everything's north right so yeah you, you know you could be playing at Croydon it would be the north but um <laughs> I said, you know, go to North, and and so I never forget it. He he said, you know, you're going on the train, you're going to go to London, and you're going to catch a train from London to Kings Cross, and then you're going to go Kings Cross to Peterborough. And honestly, Jason, I remember getting on the train at Kings Cross or Euston, one of the stations, and I didn't actually know which direction Peterborough was in. It could have been <laughs> anywhere. I had no clue. 
anywhere, mate. Could have been anywhere. Could have taken me back down south. I wouldn't have even known. And then um, getting off the train and and, and the bloke, you know, obviously, you know, kid gets off the train. He looks like a footballer. Lucky enough, I guess I look like one. And he said, hey, this, um, you know, you Campbell Chapman, whatever. And I um, played in the youth team on the f- Saturday. And what appealed to me was that Peterborough played in the Southeast Counties League. And they played against Tottenham and Chelsea and Crystal Palace and the, yeah. and the good clubs. And I thought, well, that's what I want to be playing against. Yes. So I played on the Saturday morning. And then stayed over and played in a reserve game on this Monday night. And then they called me in the next day and said, we'll give you a two-year apprentice and a one-year professional contract. But we want you to sign, you know, as soon as possible. So called my dad and um, said, what do you think? And he's like, it's up to you. And I said, well, I don't know where this is, but I like the people. You know, the people are very welcoming. And uh, and that's really how I signed for Peterborough United from from the south. I had no clue where it was. I never, I mean, to this day, I've never been. I le- when I left, I've never been back. I never really made roots there. It was just, I was hoping it was going to be a stepping stone. And um, at that point, you know, you get advice from people that, you know, work your way up. But I would tell any young player that playing in the lower leagues is not a development area for young players to develop. It's yes. too, it's too physical. It's too tough. Yeah. Uh, coaches, managers don't have the, the ability to take a chance on a young player, um, maybe a defender. But and you know, was it eighteen months is the is the is the length of a, of an average contract of a of a manager in the lower leagues? They they, they have to win straight away, and um, development is not their agenda. I don't. I mean, from what I can see from afar, it still looks the same way, and it hasn't changed. You know. Well, I think back then, especially Campbell, you know, that, that that's an interesting point because. As well as young players, you had your fair share of veterans, players coming to the end of the career, and for them it was a job. For them, they had to pay them all, yeah. use the bills, and you had you had oh, some you had some Jason, tough players cut, in the lower it leagues. Was you, you had twenty six players or twenty four players uh, in a, in a training on a Monday morning. Uh, I'm sure it's hopefully not the same, but I mean the smell of alcohol in the dressing room on a Monday morning. At the Peterborough United, where I was there, was was stronger than the the oils that you should put on your legs to keep your legs warm. I mean, how? I mean, and it was so funny because at 16, 17 years old, you think somebody who's twenty seven, twenty eight is old. You know, yeah, like, wow, yeah, he's yeah. so old. And um, and you train together. And I remember Billy Rodaway, who was a centre back, who played from Tranmere, breaking Steve Massey's nose in training because it was a practice match, and every practice match was like a World Cup final because everybody yeah. wanted to get on. You know, in the first team, and um, the environment was cutthroat. There was no, there was no development. Your development was if you survived. You know, that's truly how it was in those days because nobody had long contracts and everybody was on short-term deals because budgets were and, so and, tight that um, it made it very difficult. And also appearance bonuses, win bonuses, goal bonuses. Sometimes that could double double a player's salary. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the the the. The fans at Peterborough were, were pretty low. You know, you get four thousand for for most games, and and you know, um, they were they were consistently you know supportive of the team. But I mean, they the players didn't. You know, there was no really, I would say, loyalty towards those clubs or towards yeah. those fans. For some of these players, it was just like the next stop of a one you know in a one year contract, and yes. then the following year that same player would be at Cambridge, and then you know the following year back at Northampton. It was. It was more of a sort of a merry-go-round of players just getting on for another year and then doing the best they can to to to, to make you know to to lengthen the, their careers. And it, what's interesting is uh, Campbell. There's a myth that 
obviously your dad took you to Wolves. Your your opportunity only came at Wolves because of your dad. And I, and I do want to talk about that. But um, how did you actually find your way to Wolves? Because I believe it was Tommy Doherty that signed you and gave you your debut. Yeah, so so short version. So when, when the contract entered in Peterborough, I was ready to join it. I definitely never felt that I, that I had long at that club after the three years were up so um, the truth is is I called the PFA afterwards and said I'm not going to sign this new contract w what would you recommend to do and, and Brendan Batson was there and he said I would go abroad I would play in the summer in another country to build your confidence up and see what happens and he literally sent me a list I mean people like Dean Edwards will tell you because yeah. uh, that's where I met Dean was in Finland yes. was that I just called these clubs and one club called me back and said, hey, we've, we've lost a striker. Can you score goals? And I said, yes, you know, <laughs> hopefully. Brilliant. Uh, you know, at the end of it, uh, I went out there and it was a second division club that Dean, you know, Dean was in a neighbouring club. Dean was, a, was a, you know, back in those days, was a, a little iconic hero up in his town. Yeah. Um, which I don't think Dean ever bought a drink on a Saturday night, to be honest, which hasn't changed much. Hey, Campbell, but, um, let me tell you something, he still doesn't. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. You know, even age hasn't changed him. Not um, at all. So, so um, I played there, and then at the end of that summer, which was you know, which was a fantastic experience, I really didn't have an option of what to do. And in the meantime, my parents had uh, moved to Wolverhampton because my dad was you know was there. Yeah. And so I came back to Wolverhampton, and I said, you know, I asked my dad like, what, what? I needed somewhere to play. I got to play somewhere until I kind of figure out what I'm going to do, what's the next move for someone who's, you know, you know, didn't really know, didn't have a clue. I mean, obviously footballers, you know, nowadays hopefully have got better advice, but in those days you were, your advice was somebody would tell you what to do and you'd listen, you know? Yeah. So he said, there's a good manager at this club, Bilston Town, Joey Owen, who I still, you know, keep in touch with. Joey's a great guy. And um, Joey said, you know, listen, come and play and, and play with us until, until you decide what, what you want to do. And at that point, you know, um, I went to Bilston and, and was just playing, you know, on the weekends. I wasn't training because I wasn't living there. And um, it wasn't long in that uh, Joey said, hey, um, Shrewsbury, uh, Ron Dukes was the head co uh, head Ron scout Dukes. or chief scout or whatever. Yeah, or, the, yeah. or the only scout back in those days. Yeah. Um, that um, they, they would like you to come over. I said, well, fantastic. You know, it was out of the blue and... and uh, so I went over and trained, and they were fantastic. The players, um, great bunch. I think I think uh, Gary Hackett was there, and yeah. some other players. Just good, good people, good, honest pros, and I and I really enjoyed it. And Chick Bates was the manager, and Chick was was giving me games in the reserves, and, and take a look at me, and uh, and we were playing at Stoke on a on a night in in the reserves, and uh, I think we won comfortably, and I think I I think I played well. I must have played well and got a couple of goals, and. As I'm leaving, uh, Tony Painter, who was one of my dad's scouts, uh, at, uh, was at Stoke at the Victoria Ground. He said, hey, there's someone here to see you. And I said, OK, great. And I didn't really think, you know, you don't think of anything. And he pulled me to the side and, and it was Tommy Doherty. And uh, Tommy Doherty said, hey, your dad doesn't know we're here. We've come to watch you because we've heard, you know, that you've been playing well for Shrewsbury. And um, if you're interested, I'd like you to, give, to come and give us a chance to, to, to look at you. So, of course, you know, the initial response is, you know, like, I don't, I, my initial response was no, because I really was, like, happy at Shrewsbury, and I thought I could have a chance to get a contract and, yes. and you know, do it on your own, you know, um, which obviously everybody wants to do. So the next morning I went in to see Chick Bates, 
and asked him if there was a future at, Sh- at Shrewsbury and, and I think he would have said the same thing that most managers would have said at that of those times is like yeah I'd love to have you but I have no money you know there's no budget yeah. for an extra additional player or maybe he was using that as an excuse and didn't really want me which would have been fine <laughs> as well but you know but anyway so I thought well um, what, what have I got to lose so I reached back out to Tony Painter and said you know yep yeah, I'll, I'll come uh, I'd love to come but obviously on the understanding that this is just on merit and and if you're at any point, they don't, you know, they don't, you don't think I'm good enough, but I'm totally fine with it. Yes. You know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't looking for anything other than than really an opportunity to keep playing, whether it be in Wolves or any club. And uh, and lucky enough, I went in when obviously, you know, the club was at a, at a certain point where they, again, were financially uh, restricted to what they could do. And yeah. they were looking for players, you know, to fill roster space more than to play. I don't think I was being looked at as a potential first team player at all I think I was just being brought in as a as another reserve and another body to to, to complement the you know the lack of numbers yeah now Tommy Doherty um once again doing my research I found this really interesting you made your uh, sub uh, your debut for Wolves I should say as a substitute for Danny Craney at Manchester City on the 29th of December 1984 and your first touch I believe was an elbow in the uh, future manager Mick McCarthy's face yeah not, the, not a good idea <laughs> not a good idea you know uh, I was very eager to do well Need, needless to say you know when yeah. you get that opportunity and, and it was a, and it was a I'm guessing a pretty full house at, at Main Road and I remember to, uh, the doctor said just go go run just go run and see if you can get something out of the game and so um, ball gets punted up by Tim I think was in goal and and um, I think I can I know that the ball's coming to me and I'm I'm thinking that I'm gonna have to make a leap for this and obviously not being the tallest and uh, and and famous for anything other you know not particularly good in the air so I'm gonna have to give this a shot so. I went as high as I could with everything I could and I smacked him right on the nose with oh. my elbow accidentally to Mick McCarthy. I remember landing on top of me and say, you ever do that again, I'm going to break your effing leg. And I thought, <laughs> don't worry, Mick, you won't, you won't see me for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I won't be, be doing that again, Mick. Deep. I'll be deeper and wider. But no, it was a fantastic experience, obviously, something that, uh, that you know, you always look upon. I'm sure every professional footballer remembers their first game and some moments of it, maybe not all of it, but... It was. Uh, I actually should have scored two goals, which was not the. F- I could say that again in many times. I'm sure many players can about yeah. in their appearances. But I remember I should have scored a couple of goals. I, I got some good opportunities, but maybe just nerves and and just too much in uh, energy at that point. Well, you did score two goals in your debut season. I believe it was Sheffield United away uh, and Oxford United at home. Then uh, Tommy yeah. Doherty uh, lost his job. Your dad. Sammy Chapman got the job between 85 and 86. Um, and you feel, like I said, I've, I've, I've done my research and I've read uh, a previous interview that you've done and you believe that, and you know, I agree with this point actually because it's so easy for, you know, a son to play for his dad as manager and always, you know, he's, you're not there on merit, you're there because your dad's the gaffer. And, and you said it went against you, your father being the manager. And I quote, last place you wanted to be was Wolves as you didn't want people saying that you got there through connections. Um, is it is it difficult? So you scored two goals in your debut season, and it's the 85-86 season, your dad's in charge. Is it difficult to be in a changing room with your dad, with other players? You know, do, do other players think he, he treats you differently? I mean, how does it work? Well, I think, you know, in, in, in any 
situation like that, the, the, the most important thing is to get the respect of your peers, yes. you know, the players around you. Um, you, you feel that, and, and, and any footballer would say, when you, when, you, when you sense that the players don't have confidence in you, you, you immediately are aware of it, whether it's an individual or, or a group of players, because in training or on the pitch or the demeanour of the players, you would, you would know it. And I think uh, that I hope that, that during that course of that early period in the, in the, in the first season that I've done enough to earn the respect of, of those players. Yes, um, without that, that being in charge. Correct, you yeah. know, and, and there were some very, very good footballers and I still keep in touch with, you know, with John Humphrey. I'm still very good friends with John. We visit John in London every other year yeah. um, and stay with, you know, stay at his house and hang out with him. And John comes over to England, uh, to America with his with his team that he brings over from, from London where he's a, a coach now. So those sort of players, uh, 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 and Alan Ainsco and Andy King and Tony Evans, you know, Tommy Langley, they were very respected footballers yes. of their day. And I would hope that, that they thought that I was good enough to be there on merit. And, and then, so going into the following season when my dad took over, I'd, I'd hope that I sort of had done enough groundwork in that previous year to, to justify selection for whatever role yes. it was, you know, in the, in the starting lineup. But of course, during that period from, from, you know, the, going down from the second division to the third division, there was a huge amount of change. A lot of players left, you know, they had to sell Tim and, and John Humphrey and some other recognized players moved on. So the group that sort of started the season in, in the third division wasn't collectively as experienced as, uh, as what we'd gone down with. And a, yes. a number of those players had come from other clubs that my dad had been fortunate to get uh, to join the club. Had, as Some of them didn't have as much experience as I'd done, uh, had. Yeah. So consequently, you know, maybe I was looked upon as... So the only pressure that I think I felt was probably from myself. You yes. know what I mean? It was not, I didn't ever feel pressure from my, from the, my peers, from, from my teammates. It was definitely me feeling that I had to do more. And... Do you know what, uh, Campbell? You you was there on merit because you've only got to look at the two seasons that you was at the club. Fifty eight appearances. You know that that's that's nearly you know thirty games each season. And if obviously you remember them times better than anyone, there was massive financial restraints. Whereas we got promoted, um, I think the eighty two eighty three season into the top flight, and then we had successive relegations. So obviously you was at the club in the second division when we got relegated. And then subsequently the third. So it really was a, a, a tough place to be at the time, wasn't it? It was. It was changed. I mean, I had, believe it or not, I actually had the opportunity to leave. Um, we played Derby in a game at um, early in the season of, uh, at the baseball ground. And, yeah. and we got beat, I think. It was a really good game. And we got beat. And it was end-to-end. And it suited the way I was playing at the time. And the next day, I had a call from, um, from, the, from the ground. It was actually from my dad and said... You know, Derby have come in and, and they want to take it to, to, to Derby County and they want to do a swap for Floyd Street. And I said, OK, let me speak to the manager. And, and, and at that point, I was really enjoying my football. I was really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's getting established in the team. And I never thought about my dad as the manager or, or the, you know, it, it was just whoever picked the team. And I'd been pissed off at him just like I'd have been pissed off at anybody else if I didn't yeah. get selected. You know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't... And, and I, hopefully he would have been the same way if I wasn't performing well. But I was playing well and I was full of confidence. And then this opportunity came in uh, and Floyd was, was, was keen to come to Wolves, you know, yes. to sort of reignite his I mean, his eventually career, come to Wolves, he'd... but I didn't know that because he did eventually come to Wolves, but I didn't know that there was potentially a chance for you to go the other way. Yeah, and I spoke to uh, Roy McFarlane on the phone. And, I, and I, you, know, you look back in hindsight, and trust me, I, I know everybody's got their own story about 
coulda, shoulda, woulda, and, yeah. and if there are times to change, and I wouldn't change my career for, for anything, and I wouldn't change what I've done and where I am. But at that point, you know, I, turned, I said no because they couldn't guarantee me first-team football, and I felt that I'd worked so hard to, to get into a first team and, and establish myself as a footballer in, in playing in the Football League. But to go back, and, and at those times, again, like I said, advice was really... You didn't get advice. You know, there was yeah. no one to pull advice from. You just sort of went on on a whim or what you thought in your heart was the right thing to do. And when they said, we don't guarantee anybody first-team football, I think I took that the wrong way. You know, yes. it was a sense of, okay, then why are you taking me? Or why do you want me if you're yeah. not going to put me in the first team? Because at that point, and any footballer tell you the same, being in the first team was really all that mattered. Nobody really cared about the players in the reserves or wherever you were if you weren't playing that was a sign that you weren't good enough and I think at that point for me it was more of an emotional decision to stay at Wolves and and keep the fight going of what I was what I believed individually I was doing and then my dad did a great job of of putting together a bunch of sort of kids uh, young players and some experienced players who had some belief uh, that we could be successful and uh, and the fans were you know I remember playing at Brentford and the fans were fantastic and when we were going on the bus down to, towards the ground they were on the streets and cheering the same with Derby and I they were all cheering for me because I think I always had that element that people thought what you were saying about you know always owning the team or some people don't rate you as a footballer that's that's their prerogative yeah. of their opinion but the, in general the fans were really complimentary and uh, it was a good it, even though the club wasn't in a great shape it was a good time to be a footballer you know and I mean look we know what was happening on the pitch but off the pitch, Molyneux at that particular time, I mean, look, we can look at it now. It's it's one of the, the best stadiums in the country. But obviously back in the 80s, um, it, it, it wasn't a pretty place to be at, was it? No, I mean, unfortunately, it was detrimental to what we were trying to do because, if you know, if you're a, a, a football, you know, a team coming in from, a, from a, a small club that played in front of, you know, 2,000 or 3,000 fans and in an environment where, you know, the ground is dilapidated, even though the Wolves Stadium wasn't in good shape, the actual playing surface was always fantastic. Yes, yeah. The distance from the pitch to the to the south, uh, the John Island stand was distant. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the, the two sides being closed and the South Bank only side being open. Uh, I mean, it was kind of like playing now with COVID. It was like playing behind closed doors a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah. It wasn't any fault of anybody's. You just couldn't sustain an atmosphere because because there just wasn't enough people to sustain it in the stadium to keep you the players feeling that you know there was it sometimes when we had a bigger crowd but when you weren't playing in front of many people it, it was much more an advantage to be in a away team because you're like this is fantastic yes you know it's like a like a day out to play in this on this beautiful pitch in this big stadium even though it's only a, not even a quarter full yeah yeah I mean we we really were. Uh, we really were a sleeping giant. And do you know what? I want to pay. Um, I want to pay some some absolute credit to your dad. You know, you mentioned some of the players that you signed. There was Andy Much, Neil Edwards. I mean, your dad. You know, I've read this and studied this. He was foraging the local leagues. I mean, he found Neil Edwards playing at Old Winford, which is a, a, you know a local. You know, not Listen, much more than a Sunday uh, you know, league team. He, I mean, he was out every can... night of the week. Every night of the week, Jason. He was. I mean, he loved Wolves. I mean, he loved that club. He loved, um, he was just, he felt, I think, at that time that, you know, and in those days, and a lot of people tell you, Joey Owen and, and these guys in non-league, that there was players playing in long league that were 
better or as good yeah. as people playing in the football league. Yes. And um, and it was a pathway. And he believed in it. And he watched enough football because he would be, at, you know, uh, on Monday night at Liverpool, Man United Central League uh, reserves, and then on Tuesday night he'd be at Bilson, and then on Wednesday night he'd be at Kidderminster, and then Thursday night he'd be at Goodison. Yeah. You know, he he had that sort of fantastic ability to judge footballers, to judge players on if they could play at the next level. And he would come back and say that he's watched so-and-so's reserves and none of them are good enough. He would, And his greatest saying, Jason, was they couldn't play at bloody Bilston. That's what he would say. They couldn't play at Bilston. <laughs> and That's about right. Seriously. You know, and um, and so for someone like Neil and, and Vince Bartram. Yes, and, Vince, of course. And, Vince, and yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, Big Vince and Scott. Um, Scott was the other one he signed. Scott Barrett. Scott Bartlett, was it? Scott Barrett. Scott Barrett, yeah, yeah, sorry, Scott Barrett. Scott Barrett. Yeah. I mean, uh, another good goalkeeper at the time. Um, my dad was 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 unique in the sense that he would never profess that he would could be a coach. You know, he always said coaches are coaches, managers are managers, and, yes. and everybody's got their role. But he had this fantastic ability to see something in a player that maybe other people didn't, and 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 believe in them and 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 have the confidence that that they would do it. And he and he would always say, hey, you know. I'd love to be wrong, but I believe this in this particular instance, you know, he's right and he proved yes. it. I mean, I remember um, he actually went to stop, uh, to Kidderminster to watch Kim Casey. Yes, Kim Casey, and, yeah. Yeah, and then came back and said, there's this funny-looking kid up front who bow-legged, but he chases lost causes and he gave all these great, uh, you know, innuendos or whatever for, for Muchi. And, yeah. and then when, when Muchi showed up, I mean... You, you know, you look at his physical appearance and you're like, wow, all right, if you believe in it, you know, and, yeah. and then the rest is history for his career. And Neil, unfortunately for Neil, obviously, he was, you know, he does have the, uh, the sort of, could say, you know, could have been something else because oh. he definitely had. Listen. He was, a, he was, I mean, he was the nearest thing to Steve Ball that never got to, to, to reach the, the, the heights that Steve I did. Mean, and obviously Steve proven it season, season out. But Neil was, he was very similar to him in his, mindset and his ability. Campbell, the argument could have been with Neil Edwards. I believe when Neil burst onto the scene, he scored 7 in 11. He got a very bad knee injury. If he'd have carried on that rich vein of form, we might not have even signed Steve Ball. Don't tell Bully that. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. He never let me live it down. And, and you're quite right. You know, your daddy's, you know, foraging the local leagues. <clears throat> Everything's on a shoestring. He's picking players out and on league. Um, and your dad, obviously Samuel Edward Campbell Chapman, who he was named after. I mean, he was a great player yeah. in his own right. And uh, obviously Northern Ireland, that's where he hailed from. Um, he was in the 58 yeah. World Cup squad, but he didn't travel. Um, I mean, yeah. listen, this th th this must be so proud for you, for, for your father to achieve what he did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I said before, I mean, I hope Wolves fans realise how much he really cared about that club. I mean, yes. I remember Kim, we went when I came over, um, and he wasn't doing, he was not doing particularly well. We, me, him, and my brother went to uh, to a Leicester, you know, to a Leicester uh, a Caribou game um, down uh, Wolves against Leicester, and uh, and we just sat in the corner, you know, on our own. We did, you know, nobody sort of, you know, no one knew my dad at that at that time, obviously because times have changed and people have moved on, but. He definitely was very proud of what he achieved at Wolves and, and the opportunities he got there. And and uh, he was never one to, to take, you know, any credit for sort of, you know, the careers of any of the players that, that he gave the opportunity to because there was a number of players that he was involved with that actually then, you know, have gone on to, to different things like David Platt. 
you know, was another player that he was a huge fan of back yes. in the day. Um, when Dave was a crew, uh, he was at Brentford, I think, or Leicester. He was at Leicester. And, and, and David, Pleat, you know, didn't believe that paying 200 grand for somebody from crew was was a, was value for money. And then, you know, Dave, Dave went on and had, had a great career and at Villa and whatever. So my dad was always on the on the lookout for players where no matter where he was. But, it, but of course, at Wolves, with the budget that we were on, I mean, he was shoestring. He had to pick, get players who, who, you know, wanted to give maybe give up a job yes. to come play for the Wolves, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, and, and at those times, I mean, obviously people didn't know what was going on in the background, but it was, it was pretty, pretty shoestring to be yeah. honest. I mean, I actually met your father cause I know he, he sadly passed away in July, 2019, but I met him quite a few years ago, probably talking eight, nine years ago down at the Belling trees where we like to have a pint and he, he used to love talking football. Never, I mean, honestly, that was the, that's to to his to his you know last last few days. I mean, he yeah. was he, oh to his last day. I mean, he, he took took football to anybody, yes. anybody, any any person that would sit there with him or was in his company uh, would would know that he was um, he was an encyclopedia of the game. He yes. really was from from and again, like you said, from an all eras. I mean, he could draw from the 1960s to players who were fantastic at that time you know legendary players that that we never got the chance to see to play like Duncan Edwards and Di Stefano and these people he would still talk about those players and compare what people thought were great players today that was one of his things that he that he always used to say when people say oh, he's a great player and he's like you can't say these players are great when there's been players in the past that that you could pull from but he was always great I mean he knew the game inside out he was a fantastic uh, um could have a, could give you a healthy balance between reality and, and what you you know your dreams were for a club when you could uh, when he'd been there and seen what what it was like in those days at Wolves and obviously the fantastic achievements they've since since, since you know had since those times is um, he was never felt could have should have been you know or been a part of it he was yeah. just delighted for the club itself. Now the family connections don't stop there. Your brother Kevin was an apprentice at Wolves. Now the Wolves fans might correct me here. Because I don't know of any other two brothers that have ever played for Wolves. In fact, Campbell, you might know. But on uh, 23rd of February 1985, Cardiff away, uh, you played with your brother uh, for the Wolves. And it was Kevin's solitary appearance for the club. I mean, listen, is he, is he, I take it he's a younger brother. I mean, once again, what was that Four experience years younger, like? Yeah, we, we didn't, I didn't even know he was playing, to be honest. <laughs> Um, well, I don't think anybody did. At those days with Tommy Doherty, you really didn't know who was playing yeah. until 30 minutes before kickoff. You really yeah. didn't. Um, the Doc would, um, you know, he would sort of announce the team and, and there there it was. And here's the sub and, and there it was. But yeah, Kevin got to got to play and um, it was a place out in Indian Park in those days, pretty hostile. Yeah. Um, we were scrapping for everything we could get at that time. And uh, and he actually played well. He he played well. He played as the I think he played up front as the nine. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, in a tough environment and, and and fought hard. And he was not the the, the biggest or, or the or the quickest, but he had very good feet, great touch, and and um, and he did well. He was unfortunate not to 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 get some more uh, appearances under yeah. his belt. He had you know he um, he just didn't get to get any more games. But yeah, he did. He played very well. And to be honest, you know, it's like when you're kids, you never really think about anything historically uh, at that moment. You're just like, oh, he's playing, so great. And he's just, he's just playing, that's how it was. Yeah. We never sort of dwelt on it and, 
I think when the papers took our pictures, we were just like, what's the big deal, you know, at that point? Because we had no, you know, you have really no idea. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it was a great day when you look back and you think about it, you're like, wow, never, never really thought of it as, as, as that much other than just another game. Brilliant. And if any, any Wolves listeners, obviously they're all Wolves listeners that listen, any Wolves fans can correct me if there was another set of brothers that played for the Wolves. I certainly don't know of them. And actually, how is Kevin now? And where is he now? He, He's in Brisbane. He's in Australia. He's been out there for a number of years. Flipping uh, it. You don't like staying yeah, close, physio, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, no point, right? I mean, we, and believe it or not, we're close. You'd think we like, hated each other with me being in Atlanta and him being in Brisbane. But yeah. uh, my parents would, uh, you know, they always, you know, we, we were always, uh, you know, very close to my mum and dad and still close to my mum and, yes. and keep in touch on a daily basis. But it's always, we've just kind of got used to this transatlantic uh, sort of communication. Yeah. And uh, but he's over there in Brisbane. He's a, he's a physical therapist, physiotherapist, uh, and uh, he's been involved. In, done a bit of coaching at, um, at his son's local club in Brisbane, and uh, his daughter's going into college. And his old and his William, who's his seventeen-year-old, is st- plays, but he's a very, very good runner, um, yeah. track runner. And uh, so I don't know what he's going to do down the road, whether he'll go collegiately in, in that field or or not but uh, yeah Kevin's doing well he's doing very well he oh. comes to England I mean he'll be over we're hopefully gonna with Covid being uh, hopefully a little bit lighter in the restrictions yes. we're looking to get together at some point in the, in, in the autumn around October November time brilliant um, now obviously you're in as you say Atlanta Georgia now um, you know looking at your career Sweden Finland Malta Qatar I mean it, it really was. Football was a passport to you, wasn't it, Campbell? It was. Do you know? Do you know the last professional club I played for in England? Uh, was it Reading? No. Oh, in that case, then I don't know. It was actually West Bromwich Albion. Oh, we don't like that on here. <laughs> I know. I'll say. I'm only going to say it once. I'm that's all right then. Once. I don't upset anybody that's listening. I don't want them spitting on their coffee. <laughs> oh yeah, team. they will do after the weekend. <laughs> But yeah, so what happened was, is I was actually playing in Malta yes. um, for a club called Bukakara, yeah. and we played against uh, a team that had Paul Mariner playing, the yeah. ex-England uh, international, and Paul was, he, I lived over there because you got paid more money if you lived, because they took out your travel expenses if you went there and back, yeah. but Paul, I think, was on a lot more money than I was, and, and obviously justified because of what he was as a player, yes. and um, I played against him, he was playing centre-back at the time and uh he came up after the game we went for a beer and he said what you know would you like to go back to england i said of course everybody's dream but you know i'm here to the end of the season under contract and he said that brian tolbert had just taken over at west brom because ron atkinson had gone to maybe somewhere sheffield wednesday or nottingham forest i don't recall who it was and, and they were doing Could have been well at the sheffield time wednesday back then would it be about 90 early 90s perhaps yeah, 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 90, 91, something like that. Yeah, maybe. might have even, actually um, went to Spain as well, so it might have been Spain. He went over to Spain, big run. No, I think he went to another, I think he, I think he went into the first division, but West Brom were challenging for promotion. Yeah. And so I went over and uh, played in a game and I played against uh, a non, in a non, like in a, in a trial game for them and, uh, and played obviously well enough that Brian Talbot said, I'll give you a non-contract to the end of the season. You know, you registered player 
um, and we'll pay you and this, that, and the other. And I said, all right, let me go back and see if I can get out of my contract at, at Malta. They agreed to it because, I mean, obviously that those those days I wasn't costing them that much money. And yes. I think they were probably, you know, not a strong club. So I ended up going back and playing for West Brom with um, people like Wayne Dobbins and Stacey North and yeah. uh, Colin West was there and Don Goodman. Yeah, um, super dumb. Yeah, so I and the end of the season, I thought I was actually done well enough to get another contract, but um, the team had failed to go up, and uh, he just said, "No, you know what? Um, I'm not going to be able to retain you, even though I thought I had a good chance." And um, I don't know, this is a, a is it happened, but it doesn't seem like it would. But I was actually on a Friday going into training and I saw Sid Lucas and he, I said, good morning, Mr. Lucas. Good morning, Campbell. I've just spoke to the manager about you for next year and I think you're going to be all right. And he called me in at the end of practice and said, I'm just to let you know, I'll get, you're going to be released. Oh, wow. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> that was quick. Anyway, that was quick. So, so at the end of the season, but yeah, I played for West Brom for, I think maybe I played in a number of reserve games. Yeah. Um, I was actually in the first team squad for a couple of games but uh, never got to play in the football league. Actually, it was at West Brom when the Sheffield Wednesday, uh, the, the Liverpool, Nottingham Forest. That, yes, that Hillsborough disaster. Yeah. You, yes, that, it would have been 89, yeah. 1989. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I, did, I didn't know that, um, Campbell. And I know you ended up in Qatar as well, but you touched upon him earlier, David Platt. Um, I believe he was his roommate at Crew. I mean, what a career David Platt went on to have. And I believe... You even went into business with him, didn't you? If uh, if that's right. Yeah, it was. It, you know, it's funny. We were. I was. You know, obviously. You know, you, I. I would been playing in Qatar. I'd been playing in. I'd come back from one of the Sweden or Finland. Honestly, I think I remember which one it was. And I know that um, Dario Grady reached out to my dad, looking for players, and he said, "Well, my son's coming back from." you know, where I was coming back from, he'll be yeah. back on this particular day. If you want to have a look at him, he'll be available. So I went up um, and trained and Darius said, fantastic, yep, we need some players again. You know, at those times, people were on no money, uh, non-contract. It was kind of like, and, and I was going back to Sweden. I'd already made the agreement I was going back, so I wasn't looking for anything long-term, maybe just to keep fit. And um, and he's, there was a big, they had a house in the centre of crew uh, that basically... It was kind of like the people. The longer you've been there, the level of where you lived at was was that's where you lived. So at the bottom of the at the house was the place that lived there the most because that was the warmest. That's where the heat was. <laughs> yeah, and then fair. at the top of the house was where the the transient players who came in and out had to stay. Yeah. Well, lucky enough, Platy liked his own. He liked his own space at the top, and and it was the only place there was a bed. So I roomed with Dave for about three months. Yes. That I was there, and then from there I went to Qatar. But we just became good. You know as you spend a lot of time with somebody and uh, uh, we became friends uh, on and off the field and we just kept in touch. We really just kept in touch. For, I don't know, I can't can't remember how we did, but he went to Aston Villa, obviously, and, yeah. and we kept in touch. We was at the Villa and then uh, during his move, I, I was in, again, probably some country, you know, playing in front of about 150 people and he was doing fantastic and then he got the move to Italy and yeah. uh, we kept in touch. And uh, I went down there, and we were uh, having a just an afternoon beer somewhere, just relaxing, and in this particular pub. And he's like, you know, I really want one of these. I'd love to have one. I'd love to own one of these bars. And at the time, Wolverhampton, I know, was picking up, and, and yeah. the downtown area was sort of picking up. And the, 
and I've been in that light bar where Mitch Wilson had yes. uh, at the Chubb building and there was an empty unit. Yeah. And I said, you know, there's this empty unit. If, you, if you're interested, I don't know where you would go. And I kind of described it to him. He's like, well, let me take a look. So when he came back to England, we went up there and met and... Uh, and he said, you know, do you think this will take off? And I, at a point I was like, I, I truly do. I think Wolverhampton's getting ready to sort of have a little bit, bit of an explosion because yes. I knew that there was other people looking to do other things. And um, and he got some good people around him and uh, and invested in it. And I sort of was like, a, I won't say I was a silent partner because I didn't have any money to put in it, but I yeah. was prepared to help out. And that was when sort of I'd, I was at the point where I was, I knew that my career was not going, was not going anywhere and that the next move was going to be abroad again. And I thought, you know, it's, I'm done. I really feel like having some roots and putting down some roots and buy a house and sort of do the whole more sensible, you know, lifestyle. And, yes. uh, and we went into this situation, into, into a wine, but it was very, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was not really for what I was cut out to do. And I didn't do it for very long, but there was some good people. Pete Samili was a, a guy that he brought in that, that managed the place for him. And it, it took off. It was a, it was a really, uh, a interesting situation to be on the other side. Cause you know, me and Dean and people like that, we frequented a few pubs in our time. Oh, it was interesting did. to see how the, other, how the other half did it. And it didn't take long for me to realise that this is not for me. And, and if memory serves me right, it was called Amici, May. Yeah, it was It was some yeah. Italian, you know, it was, yeah. I think it was for just friends. I mean, yeah. for, it was amazing to hear the people with people like yourself who've got a strong black country accent to try and wrap their mouths around I've it. I've tried to hide that. You know, <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah. But yeah, it was very good. It was at that time, I mean... Wolverhampton sort of had a little bit of a, of a sort of a, an influx of, of nightlife, and and uh, and it was it was successful. I, I wasn't there when it really kicked off, but apparently it was it was really busy. Yeah. Now, um, you have been in the United States, I believe. I might be wrong. Since nineteen ninety three. Um, so, yeah. what took you to the states, and what have you been doing for the last? Let's have a look. Nearly thirty years. Yeah, it's crazy that time's gone that fast. I mean, yeah. I can't. I mean, I remember coming over. I really do. I mean, I remember. So what happened was, is I had an agent that was in Sweden, that was um, a really good, good, really good person. I liked him a lot. His name was uh, uh, Anders Targanet, really good person, and um, he had a contact over here that someone that he had met or knew or something uh, was had a summer camp, like soccer camps in the summer, um, kind of like a. Brad Bobley character that you know, Mer- you know, could bring yeah. American, bring English kids over to, uh, uh, so American kids and English coaches. So I'd never had that experience before, and I and I had a bit of time off before I was scheduled to come come back again and play. I think it was somewhere, and so I came over to do summer camps, and I was immediately impressed by just the enthusiasm of the people for the sport. It was amazing because at that point there was no professional leagues. And there was an opportunity that I was looking at to maybe play in, indoor. And if that was a vehicle that I could, you know, keep my career going and, and something that would be exciting, something different, um, then I was like, you know, I'm open to it. Yeah. So I came over to do some summer camps. And, and the last place that I landed in to the camp was Atlanta. Yeah. And um, it's a fantastic city. It's vibrant. It's, it's big, but it's got lots of things going on. And... Um, I, you know, I sort of connected with these people and they said, listen, you know, we have a youth club. This is how it's kind of works. We have all these kids that play at all age groups and we have dads as coaches and we need people to come in and kind of train the dads and work with the players and, and then help coach on the weekends. If you'd be interested in doing something like this. 
And I thought, that's not really what I thought would, I would want to do, but you were, I was so uh, taken aback by the enthusiasm that the people had over here for football, for the soccer, as they call it over here. Yeah. I just said, well, you know, I'm going to need this, you know, paper visas and, and all that sort of stuff. And they said, no, we can, we can take care of all that if you're, if you're interested in doing it. And so I did. I sort of said, okay, I'll go back to England, get my stuff cleaned up, you know, sort of taken care of over there. And then and then come back over and and get and get into it. So since that point, I've been here since the you know and and the game has exploded beyond anything I think anybody could imagine. I've, I was a part of it. I've seen it develop, and the sport is um, it's really hard to describe it to to people who who've never been here and seen it. But it's the most organised and uh, and professionalised sport that 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 it could be probably probably more so on the grassroots level than, than any country in the world on the boys and girls side. Brilliant. And I suppose it's, it's you know, do you look back at your time at Wolves now, and although it was a particularly difficult time, when you look at the Wolves of today, I'm sure you look look back on your, your time playing for the club with, with a lot of pride, Campbell. I do. I really do. I really do. I think people always look back in their careers, you know, for highlights. And, and definitely for me, playing for the Wolves was my highlight. Everything else that I did uh, was was justification for being a footballer. But, you know, I've got a, I've got a 16-year-old daughter that plays and she's at a, at a high level. And I've got a, a 13-year-old son that plays at a high level. And, and they're very proud to say that their dad played for Wolves. I mean, obviously, it's helped that Wolves are a Premier League club, an established yeah. Premier League club, and, and a club with fantastic footballers that are exciting to watch. You know, the the, the head coach is fantastic. Um, I think he's done an unbelievable job. Unbelievable. And, uh, and of course, you know, for me, someone like me living here, and uh, and you can say that, you know, you play for, the, for that team, uh, as they would say over here, you know, play for that team, not necessarily that club, but that team. It, it, it's, it is... It is a big deal and um, you know it's funny how as you get older you don't realise what a big potential what a big deal it was yes. so you sort of reminisce and go back and think wow you know I was on that pitch and, yeah. and I played there and, and in that stadium I know the stadium has changed but the pitch pretty much is still the same yeah. in the same position and yeah. the goals are still at the same end and uh, you know so yeah I do look back at that time with, with a lot more pride probably than, than at any point in my career well, Campbell, from my point of view, and, and I'll speak on behalf of the Wolves fans now, we're proud that you played for our club. We're also proud that your brother played for the club. And we're also very proud that your father managed the club. So thank you so much for your time today, all the way from America. We really appreciate your time on the Wolf Whistle, and you are welcome back on the podcast anytime. Thanks, Jason.